Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. This summer, when I was preaching on Vancouver Island for a week, I had a phone call uh, with the lead pastor of the church there, and he asked me, he said, Jeremy, honestly, you know, pray about what God wants you to bring, but I I would really appreciate if you would say some things or even ask the Lord if you should share some things about people who have uh, not returned to church or given themselves into the call of God on their lives because of offense uh, and all the things that have happened in the last three years. And I was like, wow, you're, you know, just asking for something minimal and minor uh, for me to preach on. He goes, well, sometimes when a guest comes in and says those things, it's a lot easier because then I can just talk to them about what you said and, uh, you know, they don't have to be more mad at me. And uh, I wrote this message. It was about an hour long. We had a, a real honest conversation and talk at camp with people and really didn't know if I ever had any intention of doing this here. And as we were making our way through September, and uh, we had some incredible guests, Pastor Malachi Wall, uh, following the Saints Youth Weekend, as well as Pastor John and Tia Bounds, and just some of the words they brought, I really knew and felt that the Lord was asking me to unpack this so we can walk in wholeness as a, as a community, as a, as a family, but also because I believe that sometimes there are things that aren't talked about in church, and if we would really be a little bit more honest about them, um, we could find healing in our own hearts. And uh, one of the things that I've seen uh, happen really poorly uh, when talking about offense or bitterness or uh, really what I want to tie this to is uh, how does forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation all work together? Because offense actually comes out of not dealing with those other three areas. Because offense happens over time. And, uh, you know, as I was praying about that, I was thinking about that, uh, I've seen some things happen over time. I remember being in Bible college and one pastor stood up once and he said, everyone who's been offended by someone, go to them and tell them why you're offended. And then, like, some of my friends had lineups of people. And it was particularly like seven or eight of us that all went to the same church. And then people just came and started verbally dumping all of these areas of why they didn't like people with no intent of reconciliation or ever a wrong ever having occurred. And so what I want to talk about is when it comes to dealing with wrongs, when it comes to dealing with forgiveness, when it comes to dealing with reconciliation, can I tell you, forgiveness is always required of us by God. That's what he asks. Reconciliation may or may not happen at times in certain situations. Did you know that? Like reconciliation isn't always a given. But repentance is often something that we miss in the process because very often we're so worried about other people and looking to what happened or how it happened that sometimes there's a repentance in our own heart before God that needs to happen before we can forgive, before we can see reconciliation, before we can move forward in all of those things. And sometimes we've learned to take these things on and we think, well, if I just have verbal diarrhea, and and I let it all out on a person, Uh, I think there's a time and place to walk through those things that, oh, we're doing our part, but sometimes what it is is like, uh, you know, 
uh, you, you, you get people to do that, and it's like, I didn't even know you were upset at me. And I'm not talking about me personally. Like, I've met friends and people like that, and it's like, well, I'm glad you feel better. And now are leaving me to carry this bag of stuff. But it's because the heart behind it and the purpose behind it wasn't to right the wrong or to reconcile. It was literally to share an offense. And so in Matthew chapter 18, we see this scripture. And it says this. So Jesus is talking about when there are disputes and conflicts between fellow believers, between brothers and sisters, how are you supposed to deal with them? And it says this, it says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. So a lot of times we translate the word offense, but we're talking about a direct wrong against you. This is not a a secondhand offense. This is not something that you've picked up and carried because someone else doesn't like something that you did, all these things. And it says, but if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Then we get down to verse 21. Peter's are saying, okay, Jesus, I get what you're saying. I get we're supposed to have this forgiving spirit. I forget that we're supposed to walk and work through these things. He goes, well, how often do I need to do this in my life? And uh, what I want us to come to an understanding of is dealing with offense and dealing with wrongs are actually very different things at times. Because an offense is something that comes over time, after time, a bitterness that we've held, a thing that we haven't dealt with at certain times. And yes, can you be offended when someone wrongs you? Absolutely. But the point of this scripture and the point of the teaching of Jesus here is to reconcile, to right the wrong, to bring back into relationship with a person so you can repair and restore the relationship that you want to have and that God wants you to have. Because often what we're trying to do is we're trying to take offenses and this offends me and that offends me and all these things offend me. And sometimes we're offended and we don't even know why we're offended. Like you could be offended that the curtain is black and not purple. I don't know. Why? Because purple is a much easier color on the eyes. I don't know. And we get into these things and... You know, when we don't deal with rights and wrongs uh, in, in the right way, we end up choosing offense and we end up carrying it. And then what happens to our hearts and what begins to stir in us is something that has a hold of us. It gravitates, it pulls on us, and it prevents us from moving forward in healthy relationship with that person. But I would argue not only with that person, it'll bleed into other areas, other relationships, and with the Lord. And uh, I, I think when we look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, I got it right this time, uh, we see that Jesus' heart is that when there are wrongs between believers, when someone sins against you, when there's something that needs to be talked about, go to them and d- endeavor to talk about him. This is not a go to them and tell them all the things that you did that hurt me. Now I'm glad I got that off my chest and I have no heart to ever restore or reconcile relationship, I'm just going to leave that there, that's going to not do the trick. That's going to actually bleed into more hurt and more offense on either side of the spectrum. And what God's really talking about is if there is a wrong, you go to them and you say, hey, this is what we need to do. You, you, you wronged me in this way. I, I don't know how we're going to move forward. We need restitution because maybe that person doesn't repent. 
and you have to learn how to forgive. Maybe they do repent, and you can restore relationship before you have to go down the line and, and you go and gather another person and go with them and then bring it before the church. Like, you know, if Matt, uh, you know, stole my bike for whatever reason, you know, because he just wanted to take a rip around Spruce Grove, and he thought, I don't like my bike. I like Jeremy's bike. And not only did he steal it, he didn't return it. I go to Matt, I'm like, Matt, that's my bike I saw you ripping around on. And Matt's like, well, that's your opinion, you know? <laughs> I rode it around Spruce Grove, it's my bike now. And my goal is to go to Matt and say, hey, let's work this out because I don't know why you would do this to me. We're friends. I'd like to stay being friends. And, uh, you know, guys are a little bit different. Girls are like, we should talk this out. I'd probably punch Matt, take my bike back, and then Matt would probably shrug one day and be like, well, it's probably had it coming, and then we'd be friends again in a week or so. <laughs> but it's not so easy when there are relational hurts. Because how do you spiritually slap somebody that hurts you relationally, <laughs> thinking they'll just get over it and realize by the grace of God that they had it coming? <laughs> the Bible's very clear. We go to one another and we use our words. It's like we tell our little kids, no, no, we don't hit. We use our words. And I'm like, I said to Brandy when my boys were little, sometimes I wish they'd just hit and get this thing over with, you know, stand up for themselves. And Brandy says, no, we use our words. And dealing with wrongs, we need to try and do our best efforts to keep that between us and the, the person that we're dealing with. Why? Because reconciliation happens best when we protect each other's character, dignity, when grace can cover, love can cover a multitude of sins, repentance can bring us a, a long way, and we need to understand the true realities of repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. Now, some of you are in situations where you've been wronged, and you've actually done the second. You've brought other people. You've tried to work out the wrong. There's still no repentance, and so God's working on your heart saying you need to forgive, and it's really hard to forgive when the other person won't repent, but I'm telling you, forgiveness is going to change change the way you move forward, but reconciliation cannot come until there's a repentance there. Because then you're just setting yourself up to be back in a situation where maybe it's uh, broken, it's abusive, and it's not good for you, and it's not healthy for you, and that's not what God wants for you. But this is what I feel like we do very often in relationships and in the church. We skip step one. We feel hurt, we feel wrong, and in, instead of going to that person right away, we gather two or three others before we've even talked to the person that wronged us. Ever been there? So now we got this little group of people that are mad at Matt, and I haven't even told him, Matt, I feel like you wronged me, and we haven't even had a conversation, and now Matt's got four other friends that are like, Matt, what a guy. And he's like, what the heck? What's going on? Like, why, why are people treating me like this? And, and we, we, we skip step one. We don't go to the person because we're actually not concerned about reconciliation. We're concerned more about us carrying an offense and us having other people believe we were justified and we're right to be mad at somebody. And what offense truly does, and this is the cheesiest analogy in the world, but it's the one that the Lord gave me, Offense actually builds a fence that separates me and my brother. Because that's what we do in North America. 
drive into our garage, we fence in our yards, and our neighbors can't come unless they're invited, and that's what we've done. We've taken our hurts with people, and we've invited a whole bunch of people into our backyards and say, get on my side, be hurt with me, and we have a brother and sister that live so close that we should just be inviting into the party if we would have dealt with that thing, but we can't, and it's weird, and it's awkward. Why? Because we're not dealing with it one-on-one, and we have to keep talking. And, and, and so what we, we try to do is we try to build these fences around our lives because we think, well, if I can stay offended and I can keep them out, but if I can get enough people in here on my side, I'll feel justified. So really it's their problem, not mine. But what your problem is now is you've caused other people to stumble and you've actually built a cage around your own future and around the people you've brought into that because they can't see clearly <clears throat> with the eyes of God, with the love of God, to see a forward relationship with the person you were offended by. Where it could have just been a wrong that you could right. And I just want to be real raw and honest here that sometimes we don't get to the place we want to get to with all of these rights and wrongs between people, but one of the worst things we can do is keep talking about it with other people and building secondhand offense and things where people get caught in the crossfires of how we haven't dealt with a relationship properly. The whole purpose of getting someone else and going to the person is saying, get one person. Don't get another person that's mad at them. You ever thought of that? When you are frustrated... Like, here's the thing. Like, when you're frustrated with your sibling, probably the worst person to bring to right or wrong would be another sibling. Because a parent might tell you you're both wrong. And sometimes in the faith, when we got to walk through these things, we got to go to someone that has a spiritual maturity or an authority to say, hey, 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 you got to watch your heart as much as they need to admit the, the wrong in their heart so you can both repent and you can find forgiveness and we can reconcile this. But our human nature is let's run to the person that's going to make me feel right and look good and win. And can I just tell you that when we live like that, we never win. And I'm not saying that these things are easy. Because there will be times and there will be situations where you don't get the outcome that you want. You won't get to the place where you hope to get. But the reality was when there are wrongs that happen, and like this, because it talks about the escalation to bring it before the church, we're probably talking about a wrong that's like not only spiritually wrong, like there's probably an ethical wrong here, something, and this was like judgment of a court. Like you cannot have this person in your life right now because their unrepentance and this wrong is going to keep hurting people, and that's where it says even in the church you, you put them outside. I honestly think in most of our situations, if we would start walking with a heart of humility and forgiveness and repentance, we would never get to that space and that place. But we live in a world where we can put our opinions on the internet and we can blast out and say whatever we want and we can live offended and we can live unhappy about things and, and, and so often we think it's so powerful and it's doing all these things and it's actually only binding us up. Do you know what your offense does to people who don't care outside of your world? Nothing. It doesn't change the world. It doesn't change their future. It doesn't change their life. We just, you know, so like some of you are like, I'm going to spew everything I want to spew on Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, that's great. You know what that does for other people? Nothing. You just unfollow. 
<laughs> Great, you be offended by that. I don't have to carry that. And, and often, offense actually happens and grows by holding things against someone and not releasing them to God or forgiving them. Because even in the situations where you have been wronged by a person and whether uh, they see it or whether they don't, whether you're justified, whether you're not, whether it's an emotion, whether it's actual truth, uh, offense happens when even when you were wronged, even when you did try the right steps and the other person didn't repent and you didn't get the reconciliation that should be there, offense happens when you refuse to release that person to the Lord in forgiveness and let him heal your heart. Because you start holding yourself back now. Because you can't control another human being. You can't control another person. You can walk out the steps and you can probably get even hurt more and have to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I have to release them to you and forgive them because until we can talk about these things and see eye to eye, there's not going to be reconciliation. But Lord, I forgive them even if they don't see it because I don't want offense to destroy and damage my heart and take me where I don't want to go. And so what I want us to know today is I think there are certain areas in our life where often we get offended for different reasons, especially in the church. And I want to walk through a few of those over the next few weeks and see how, Lord, how could we shape our heart and how could we grow in forgiveness and release and trusting people because it's not always easy. Because I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures and I'm going to talk about this, but you're going to go home and you're going to say, Lord, like, I believe what your word says, but that's really hard. You might even say, I don't even know if I want to do that. And that's, can I tell you, that's okay. What I would encourage you to do, just don't close your heart off to the Holy Spirit and letting him speak. You don't have to do things because I read scriptures and whether, whether I'm right or not. You, 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 you need to open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, would you show me how I can continue to move forward? Because you don't need anything holding you back from what God wants to do in your life. And so what I want you to know is that offense typically tends to happen because we don't release people in the forgiveness of God. And, and sometimes offense actually happens because we don't release ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves in certain things. And so we, we get stuck. But what I want you to know is that the first point that I kind of wanted to walk through today, and this is in Matthew chapter 20, is sometimes we're offended because we feel like we deserve more. Let's get real honest about that. Sometimes in the church, in relationships, in our families, in our jobs, anywhere, offense comes because we feel like we deserve more. And I think we've all been here at some point or another. And in Matthew chapter 20, we come to a story where there's a parable of the vineyard workers. And in the parable of the vineyard workers, it, it, it talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a landover who, landowner who went out one morning to hire workers in his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a normal day's wage and sent them out to work. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, he went back. So he went out probably at like 6 a.m., 9 a.m., probably around noon or 1 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and each time he goes out, he asks people, well, why haven't you been working? And no one's given us work, or we got here late, or whatever. And he says, okay, go work in my vineyard, and, and I will pay you what's right at the end of the day. 
Uh, and so that evening, verse 8, he says this, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those who he hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. So this has got to be like a six to six or a six to eight day, you know, sun up to sundown, something like that. So these guys that go out at 5 p.m., they get paid a full day's wage. And when those who were hired at 5 o'clock were paid, they each received a full day's wage. When those who were hired first came to get their pay, so it, it skips all the middle ones to get their pay. They assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? So take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you, so take your money and go. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? <laughs> I'm going to be real honest with you. This is a tough one in life. This is a tough one in the natural. I would say it's even a tougher one in the spiritual. Because there are moments in life where we come up against things when we have paid the price, where we have served God, where we have walked with people, where we have sacrificed, where we have done this and that, and we have done it all because we understand the grace of God, we understand the goodness of God, and, and then sometimes we see God be so kind and so gracious to someone else, we're like, well, if he's that kind and gracious to them, I've done way more, so I deserve more. And these things are so hard for us to admit. But it creeps up in our spirit. It, it hits us on days when we're most vulnerable where you, you say, Lord, I've toiled and I've served and I've worked under the heat and I've suffered through the difficult times and that person just got saved or they just started this and it just seems like you're opening doors for them and they get so much and you're so gracious and you say, Lord, where's my more? I'll be completely honest with you, as your pastor, as a leader, there have been days, there have been weeks where it's like, Lord, when, when is that door going to open for me? God, what about all the time spent and things that nobody sees? God, I know you see it. And you see someone else and like just this incredible favor of God and a door opens and, and, and your heart should be able to rejoice and celebrate with people and you do, but you do it with kind of like a half-bitten tongue because part of you wants to say, Lord, I should have got that. Lord, where's my more for the time spent, for the days served, for the things that I thought I should have? And then you hear this scripture, you hear, you hear the voice of the master, and he goes, should you be jealous because I'm kind? And you're like, Lord... I just finished reading Jonah in, in our Bible reading, and it's like, Jonah, God, I wanted to run from you. And here I am at the edge of Nineveh, and I finally obeyed, and I finally did what you said, and here you're gracious. And everyone gets away with their sin because they, they simply repent. 
And then you make this plant grow, and I felt good for about a half an hour in the afternoon, and then the next morning the plant dies. God says to Jonah, should you be angry about the plant? He's like, God, I'm angry enough to die. And I think some of us, if we were really honest with ourselves, when it comes to areas of life, maybe it's in your family relationships, maybe it's in the call of God on your life, maybe it's in how you've been working and striving and you see God's favor on someone else's business and yours has been struggling, and you look at that and say, God, I'm doing everything I can to honor you, serve you. How come it's working for them and not for me? Some days you've had that conversation and God asks you the question, why are you angry? And you're like, oh, I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. God, I'll tell you how angry I am. And yet God, in his graciousness, in his love, in his compassion, I mean, if at any point, like in Revelation, we see these rebukes, right? Like these corrections, these disciplines. I read one of them this morning. But God, in all grace and compassion, he says to Jonah and he says to the workers of the vineyard, he goes, If you had compassion on a plant, shouldn't I just have compassion on these people who I created that had an opportunity to turn to me? The workers in the vineyard, God, why do I feel like I'm getting less? No, you're getting what you were promised. You've just looked at other people and you've made it feel like less. And can I tell you, that is a struggle that some of us will face till the day we die. And, and there are days that I'm great, and there are days that I really got to work that out in my own spirit. And all you can do is come before the Lord because you keep hearing his voice saying, is it wrong of me for, for me to be kind to others? Is it wrong of me to extend my grace and, and, and do what I want to do in others' lives? But, but we, sometimes we look at that and we say, God, well, I deserve more, or I, I need more, or I want more. And it's not wrong to desire. It's not wrong to, to feel uh, uh, hurt at times. You can cast those cares on the Lord. You can come to him. But at the end of the day, when his voice comes to you and he says, hey, if I've called you to do something and I've called you to be obedient and I've brought you to this place and I bless someone else, are you going to live offended or are you going to trust me because he doesn't always give you the answer that you want he brings you back to a place where you said you would follow him and the question is will you follow him if it's the way you like it or not will you follow him when it seems like sometimes it works out better for other people or in a different pattern or a different fashion and sometimes we get so offended because we've actually lived in a place where we feel like we deserve more And there's nothing wrong with desiring more. There's nothing wrong with dreaming for more and believing God for more. But when more becomes a snare and it keeps you held in a fence, it will debilitate you and it will break you. Because some days we just really have to wake up and realize that Jesus was enough. That his grace was enough. You see, sometimes we're offended because we feel like we deserve more. And the second thing that I want to leave you with today, we're just going to get in deep and then we're going to deal with, I got six points, I'm only on number two, but that's why this is a three-week series. I think there are times that we are offended 
especially in our relationship with God and with people, because we actually get offended that God's grace is too good or he didn't do for us what we thought he should. You see, there can be the snare of more and the feeling of lack or the feeling of victim mentality and I've done so much and, and God, well, I did all this, you should do this for me. And, it, and what it actually does is it bleeds into this second grip of offense on our lives where we actually get offended because of the grace of God is too good or he didn't do for us what we thought he should. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, this is that verse we come back to where he says, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind? We turn over to Luke chapter 15. There's a very familiar story there. Uh, Luke chapter 15, we see the story of the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But what we also uh, forget to realize sometimes in this scripture is I actually believe it should be the story of the lost sons. Because though one son stayed in the house, he was just as lost as his brother. Because there were some things he missed about his father that caused his heart to spiral into this same offense and hurt and bitterness that, you know, it never caused him to leave, but he held it against his father. He held it against his brother. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 25 to 32, it says this. It says, meanwhile, so the story of the prodigal son is is. The son comes and he says, basically, dad, I wish you were dead. I wish I had all the money that I have coming to me when you were dead so I could live how I want, do how I want, uh, and, and I just want to leave and do those things. And the dad says, okay, fine. If, if that's what you're asking for, I'll give you the money and you can go. Interesting side note in this story, and this is where I think churches need to really understand this. The son who wanted to live however he wanted knew he couldn't do it in his father's house. We need churches today that are welcoming and loving of people and inviting in to experience and encounter the grace of Jesus. But I'm just going to tell you, you cannot live in God's house however you want in sin and things that go completely against the word of God without facing correction or teaching or rebuke because God's way is to be holy and protected. And we love you and we want you to grow in what God has for your life. But if you are blatantly saying, I can live however I want and do however I want, it doesn't fly in God's house. There is something that this son knew that if I'm going to live this way, I got, I got to do that outside. Never once changed the father's love for him. Never once changed the fact that he was always welcome home. But he knew when he came home, he had to lay down his life, the life he wanted, how he wanted to live, and embrace the life the father had for him. And that's salvation. That's the church. We have an open door to experience all that God has for us. But as long as we stay in our heart, well, I, I, want, I want to have all the benefits of the Father's house and all the blessing and all those things, but I want to live however I want to do whatever I want. It doesn't, they don't mix together. And then we wonder why we're in conflict and all those things. So that's just a side note. But then we get to verse 25. So the son goes, he repents, he's in a pig pen. He's like, my goodness, even a servant in my father's house lives a better life than this. He, he realizes everything I thought, this life on my own, it led to brokenness. And my father's house, even, even as a servant, was way better than this brokenness. And I think we have generations that are beginning to realize that, God, even if I could, if I could just come in and just be a part of what you're doing, it's better than the brokenness I'm feeling right now. 
is better than the brokenness that all my stuff is leading me to. And so he comes back, and the father puts his arms around him, and he loves him, and he brings him in. He puts a ring on his finger, a a cloak around him. He throws a feast. Why? Because the son that was dead is now alive. The son that was lost is now found. And then we get this verse, verse 25. It says, meanwhile. Everyone say meanwhile. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. Isn't that something? Sometimes we sit in our anger so long, the father has to come to us and say, why are you so angry? Why do you refuse to enjoy the things I have for you, like, Kind of like, where's your head at? But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and here's a problem. You did it as a slave. And never once I refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat or a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, it's not even his brother anymore, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said to him, look to your son. You have always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. And we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Sometimes I think we're offended because God's grace is too good for us. And rather than allowing people to fail forward, we've wanted God to hold them in a place of judgment and reprove themselves where the grace of God says, no, I forgive, I wipe clean, I set them back in their rightful place. And then we live with a mentality that says, well, I was here all this time. I deserve. God, you never gave me. And these are things that ring in your heart sometimes. I've grown up in church. I've walked through this day in, day out. I've been in church since the week after I was born. I rarely miss church. And so often what we do in life, we think because we're good boys and good girls, we deserve more than other people. And let me tell you something, that there is truth in peace and there is truth in walking out the principles and the ways and patterns of God that will bless your life. But they do not make you any more loved by God than someone else who comes in because they are created and fashioned in the image of God and he loves them just as much as he loves you. We walk by principles and the ways of God. Why? Because he gave us his word as a pattern on how to have good relationships and how to walk in peace and how to know how to trust him. Those things are all benefits to our life, but doing them does not make him love us more or less and mean we deserve more or less. Because all we have is in Jesus and and his grace and the price that he gave. And here's this older brother saying, this son of yours. And the father, like, he doesn't even say this. He's like, your brother. No, this son of yours, your brother. It's like God's like, he goes, but you never gave me. And he says, but everything I have is yours. I've never withheld from you. And so often in our lives, we do that, and we're talking to God, 
and I've had these conversations where it's like, God, I've done these things, and and I've worked hard, and then you never gave me, and God, God's like, but I've never withheld from you. And because we're caught in this comparison, we begin to get offended not only at others, we get, we get offended at God because his grace is too good. That the grace of God could take someone from their yesterday and their tomorrow could look different and we could actually see them as a son and daughter or a child of God and not hold them to their sin for 20 years till they prove themselves in the church as someone worthy of leading or walking or whatever. We're not supposed to do that. Now, let's be honest, if you really still have a problem with stealing, I'm probably not going to let you count the offering. We'll talk about certain things, but it doesn't mean I I view someone in the eyes of, well, one day they'll be good enough. No, we got to start seeing people as God loves them. They're received, they're welcome. We come in, we sit at the table with them. We don't stand outside and refuse to do those things. And, and sometimes our offense comes because we get so worked up and built up on this thought that God's grace is too good or that he hasn't done for us yet what we thought he should. And this is a difficult place to live because the only person that can deal with this is you and God. No one else can fix this for you when you walk through these emotions. By show of hands, how many people in this room have unfulfilled dreams still in their life? Okay, now here's the thing. We, we all do. But if I'm offended every time someone else's dream gets fulfilled and I still have unfulfilled ones in my heart, why should I be offended at my brother or treat them differently when they're simply walking out God's call in their life And then it turns into I'm actually angry and I'm offended at God because I feel like he hasn't done something for me yet that I think should happen. And let's be honest, this occurs in our hearts more often than we would ever like to admit. And we got to come back to the place where we have a relationship and a conversation with our father and we submit to him in that. I want to close with two stories. I think... As a church, one of the things we, we got to start walking with and learning to deal with when it comes to offense and the grace of God and, and releasing people to be who God's called them to be is, one, we need to not hold people's sin against them, and two, we need to stop living in this idea that we deserve more or God hasn't done uh, what we think we deserve yet because we all have those days, we all have those emotions. It's difficult at times. Uh, I'm right there with you, but... I think there is an avenue by which we can move forward and, and see God start doing a work in our heart, which will be my one closing point. But story number one. You know, I, I say it a lot. It's like I've been, I've been in church literally because of my father, Daryl Wolfram. I could probably count on one Sunday outside of holidays or visiting grandma and grandpa's church the amount of Sundays I've missed in my life. Like, we never just didn't go to church. Someone was sick, mom was sick, a sibling was sick, whatever. Dad's like, oh, get in the car, we're going to church. I'll just say this. Some of you men in here, I I actually thank God. I've seen such an uprising of men in this house to lead their families in the ways of God. If your spouse is not well, not feeling good, help them out. Get your family to the house of God. Show them that you care about it. 
Lead your kids even when your wife's not coming with you. That's just a sidebar. So I remember one time in grade 11, I went to a friend's graduation. She was in grade 12, private Christian school. I was in grade 11. You're behind her. Her brother uh, was one of my closer friends. And uh, we went to an after-grad party at their house. And let me tell you, Pastor Jeremy had never drank in his life before this point. So we go to this party, Christian home, Christian family. What I didn't realize that uh, drinking vodka spritzers with uh, sugar and alcohol really don't go well if you've never drank before. I can honestly tell you it's the one time I've been drunk in my life. And I woke up at 2.30 in the morning so sick. So, so sick. It's a Saturday night. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And thankfully, I knew as much fear as I had for my parents. I knew there was enough grace that I could call them. So I called my parents. They came and got me. Like, I even thought about, it was probably only, like, four clicks because we lived on the same range road. Like, I actually thought of walking home uh, in the middle of the night, but halfway between our house and my friends, there was this one place they always left their dogs off the leash, and I'm like, they're going to tear me apart in the middle of the night. <laughs> and then I won't be the prodigal son. It'll be the good Samaritan, and they'll find me bloody on the side of the road. Now, remember this. My parents picked me up. They said, son, we're glad you called us. You okay? Yeah. Not another word. Sent me to bed. I wake up the next morning. They left for church. And maybe I'm just an idiot, but I woke up feeling like, well, I got to get to church. Like, I, I, I didn't know where to turn. I'm like, I've messed up. I don't know how to answer my family. I don't know how to answer anyone else. They, they, didn't, they didn't pin anything against me. They didn't say anything. How could you? Anything like that. And, and I woke up in the morning thinking, I need to get to church. My family's all gone. And I'm like, well, I don't know how hungover I am. I don't know if I should drive my car. So God bless my grandma, who's here today, who was always late for church in that day. And she would drive from Westlock to St. Albert. And I'm like, I bet you if I call grandma, she could pick me up. So I called my grandma. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I haven't passed your house yet. Well, why do you know that? Oh, we'll talk about it later, grandma. And I went to church so hungover that I listened to most of the preaching from a toilet in the upstairs bathroom at 16 years old. But what was formative about all of that was what I remember happening after. You see, I experienced both sides of how the church can act and react in these situations. From my parents, from my grandparents, from people who loved me, the words were just get up and keep moving. There's grace in your heavenly father. We just want to see you go after Jesus. And I found myself in worship and at the altar. And I remember the next Friday night, this is a vivid memory burned in my brain. And I remember watching friends talk about me when I responded to an altar call. Oh, you know what he did. 
oh, well, we'll see if he changes. You hear those things. You feel those things. And from that moment forward, what I've really hoped and I've endeavored is that when we see people and they come broken and they they come to the altar, that we, we would see God's grace as big enough to whatever mistake someone makes and the forward pattern that they need to take. We would be the first ones to get around them and say, hey, I'm so glad you're back here. And I think out of that whole group, I had one friend that said that. We had a youth group about 20 or 30, about the same size as the Glory Hills youth group is right now, and I could probably count on one hand how many of them are serving the Lord. But what I learned in that moment was when you make a mistake, when you mess up, you can feel hurt and broken, or you can throw yourself in the arms of your father, whether other people think you deserve it or not, whether they think God's grace is too good or not, you can come back to a place, and I think in our churches, what we need to get back to is a place where we start seeing people the way Jesus sees them, and we stop worrying about how offended we are at God, or how much we deserve, because it's actually hindering us from getting beside people who he wants to redeem, and restore, and move forward, because if we would get out of our own head and out of our own thoughts and out of our own offense we would actually have partners and people in the ministry I wonder what would happen if that brother could have went beside his brother and said I forgive you let's start working together I bet you they would have multiplied and seen more than they ever could in the next generation but offense and brokenness and hurt wanted to drive a wedge between them And I know we're going long today, but I want to share one other story because it's probably one of my probably one of my least proud moments in the ministry. I remember being a young pastor. And I remember having a meeting, sitting with other pastors. My wife was there, and I think there was about 20 of us in the room. Pastors, elders, leaders. And I don't, I don't even know how this topic of conversation came up. And years later, I've, I've had to repent of this and start seeing the grace of God as bigger and what we deserve is irrelevant when God wants to move in someone's life. But... I mean, other than Brandy, I don't know if anyone in this room was there, but we were having a conversation about child dedications. <laughs> and sometimes as pastors, you have the craziest conversations. One, sometimes because you have to, because as pastors, we're torn between loving people and pulling you closer to Jesus, but also not laying our hands to bless something that is not being walked out according to the pattern of God. And and so our job is kind of like love everyone where they're at and help them see God's best for their life and help them grow. And we're talking about child dedications and the question came up, should we dedicate children who were born out of wedlock? Now, before you (laughs) get there, Because the question, it, was, it goes so much beyond that. If, if you look at a theological pastoral scope, it's not about how that child was born. It goes about where is the heart and where is the, the relationship and how are the parents living now and what 
uh, is happening as we, we do those things. And, and because, you know, now I'm at a place where I feel like all of these things are conversations and teaching moments to bring people closer to Jesus. But I will tell you in that meeting, my answer was no. And you can judge me and you can look at me. Because as a young man who was probably 24, 25 at the time, and I had just had our second baby, there was something in me that said, you know what, I waited for marriage. I honored my spouse. We've done all the right things. So we deserve a different blessing than someone who hasn't walked with God. And I was on that side of the fence, and I've had to repent in my heart. Because what the grace of God has taught me and shown me that it's like it didn't matter that you did all that. That was simply God's grace on my life that I was able to walk that road and thank God. But it doesn't diminish his care and concern and love for someone who that wasn't their story. Now, it's a different story if you approach me as your pastor and you're blatantly living in sin, contrary to the scripture. We're going to have some conversations. We're going to walk through that. But why wouldn't we want to bless children? Why wouldn't we want to put the grace of God on people's lives so he can move? But these are the things that our heart gets torn in when we get offended at God or we think that we deserve something more than someone else. Why? Because his grace is too big for us. And so then we come to this place where at the end of each week and the next couple weeks, I'm going to ask this question. Well, then how do we just not be offended? <laughs> like, how do you just say, well, don't, don't be offended. Get, get over it. Just, just move on when it's not that simple. And I really wanted to open this up this week and next week will be a little more concise, but to, to show us that in our hearts, we have to be very careful with a spiritual entitlement, with a spiritual superiority towards other people because we think we've lived better than they've lived. And we need to learn how to lean into the grace of God and trust him with the outcome of their lives and ours without putting up fences and walls between us because we are actually probably limiting the power we could have in some relationships if we would simply start walking with the people that God gives us. And let me tell you, it's not easy, it's not perfect, you don't always agree on everything, but you gotta learn to forgive, we gotta learn to walk together, we gotta learn to do those things. And so tonight, I wanna leave you with one way we can start to do this, and it's found in James chapter four. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I think the only way we start by uh, dealing with our offense, and, and especially when we're angry with God and, and when we're in that place where uh, we feel like we deserve more or God hasn't done for us what we thought he should do, one of the best things we can do is we can humble ourselves. And that's what I want to challenge us to do today whatever area that you're struggling in maybe you felt like you deserve more maybe you feel like God hasn't done what you thought he should all of these things how are you going to humble yourself James chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 says this says humble yourselves before God resist the devil and he will flee from you 
Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. There can be a lot of things in life that humble you. There can be people that come and try and talk to you and try to humble you. But can I tell you, the real power is when you get on your face and your knees before God and you say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm so frustrated with this. God, I don't understand why I can't forgive in this area. God, I don't understand why I feel like I deserve more. God, I don't understand even what you're doing in that person's life and why I can't celebrate with them or be happy with them. When you get on your face before God and you humble yourself, before God, you will start pushing the enemy's voices out. And you will come close to the Father and you will come to a place where you will actually begin to experience a unity with the Spirit and so your opinion isn't that of the world and the way they think things should be and the way that God thinks things should be that you can align your heart in a place with humility before God and says, Lord, I surrender. So if you want to know how to not be offended, keep humbling yourself. (laughs) I hear these words even in my heart today, and I say, Lord, there's enough things in this life that are trying to humble me all the time. But there's something different when we come before the Lord on our own and say, Lord, I know my heart and my attitude's not right in this. Lord, I know that you want to be gracious to others and I, I should be celebrating, but I'm, I'm wrestling in my heart. Draw close to God. He's going to draw close to you and he's going to show you how to work through some of those things. Because humbling ourselves is the first step towards maybe the repentance that we need to have or maybe the first step towards the forgiveness that we need to offer someone else, even though we know there might not be a chance at reconciliation. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.